if we were to study any important personality within history, we have to understand that we don't just study them individually, but we have to study their biography and their lifestyle collectively. What do I mean? I mean we have to study the environment in which they lived in. In the case of our Imams and our Ma'sumeen, we have to, for example, ask very important vital questions, such as, for example, did this Imam live in the time of Bani Umayyah, or did he live in the time of Bani al-Abbas? Or did he live in the period of transition between the Umayyad dynasty and the Abbasi dynasty? What was the expansion of knowledge, Islamic knowledge like during his period? Was there freedom given to the ulama and given to the scholars so that they, they can freely propagate the teachings of Islam? Or did this specific ma'soom, did this specific imam live in an era in which, for example, the propagation of the religion of Islam was limited? As you all know, if we read Islamic history, we'll come across some very difficult times. For example, right after the demise of Rasulullah the propagation of hadith of Rasulullah himself was prohibited. Therefore, those who wanted to speak of the hadith of Rasulullah, wanted to quote Rasulullah were extremely afraid. Some of them would face imprisonment and some of them were excommunicated and thrown out of the city of Medina and some of them were even killed. There are other periods where fiqh was limited, meaning the ulama and the fuqaha were not able to speak freely. And the books that they used and the resources that they had were also limited. For example, for the followers of Ahlul Bayt, in many occasions when we built grand libraries, when we put all our important books together, the legacy of the Ma'sumin together, and many occasions, those libraries in the time of Bani Umayyah, in the time of Bani al-Abbas, in the time of the Ayyubis, and many other periods, uh, those libraries were destroyed. Those, those books were burnt. Those scholars were killed or annihilated. Therefore, when we study the biography of an Imam, when we study the biography of, for example, Al-Imam Ali ibn al-Hussein, or Imam al-Baqir, or Imam al-Sadiq, or Imam Musa ibn Ja'far, or Al-Imam Ali ibn Musa al-Ridha, we have to understand in which era did they live. What was the science of, for example, Hadith like in that time? What was the science of Tafsir like in that time? Who were the major scholars of Islam in that specific period? How large were the expansions within the Islamic Empire? What was the influence of other civilizations onto the Islamic civilization like? Who was the Khalifa of the time? How did he treat the Imam and how did he treat the followers of Ahlul Bayt? We must study the life and the legacy of every one of our Imams in this particular manner, brothers and sisters. For the most part, 
We study the life of Amir al-Mu'mineen, Imam Hassan, Imam Hussein in this specific period. Uh, give or take, we understand the history and the circumstances in which they lived in. However, when it comes to the Imams after Imam al-Hussein, Imam Ali ibn al-Hussein, Imam al-Baqir, uh, for example, Imam al-Sadiq, Imam Musa ibn Ja'far, Imam Ali ibn Musa al-Ridha, and the Imams after Imam al-Ridha, we don't even know whether they lived in the time of Bani Umayyah, whether they lived in the time of Bani al-Abbas, and what was happening during that period. And that is why I have chosen to keep that as my introduction today. Brothers and sisters, there was a rise to Bani Umayyah, as you know, during specifically during the time of the third Caliph Uthman ibn Affan. And he distributed the wealth and the position, the positions of the possessions and the positions of the Muslims, mostly to his family. And a lot of power was given to Bani Umayyah specifically. Therefore, Bani Umayyah had a lot of wealth. They had a lot of capital. They had a lot of territory. And things continued that way until the Muslims revolted and assassinated the third Khalifa Uthman. And after that, there was a rise to the power of Bani Umayyah. And Rasulullah had seen a dream. And this is mentioned in all the books of historians and the ulama all across the schools of thought and madhahab of the Muslimin. Rasulullah one day woke up and he had seen a dream and he was extremely saddened and he was depressed. He went on top of the minbar and he said, I saw a dream that Bani Umayyah has taken over my minbar just like monkeys would take over a tree. So Rasulullah foresaw the future. He gave this information to the public. He told his companions this information. So there was a rise, uh, a moment of rise in glory for Bani Umayyah, an unfortunate moment where all the bid'ah, all the innovations were put inside the religion of Islam. Where for example, the Friday prayer was prayed on Wednesdays and that created a frustration within the Muslim Ummah the killing of the companions of Rasulullah the killing of and the fight against Amir al-Mu'mineen then marginalizing Sayyid Shabab Ahl al-Jannah al-Imam al-Hassan and then the martyr the martyrdom of al-Imam al-Hussein and then they continued to kill the scholars and the companions and Hamalatul Quran until many Umayyah were completely exposed. People wanted to give back the leadership to Ahl al Bayt. The people had realized that they had made a huge mistake by marginalizing the Ahl al Bayt. They had actually lost their ability to live through the Islamic teachings the teachings of Rasulullah, the principles of the Qur'an, and some of the progeny of the Ahl al-Bayt, specifically the children of Muhammad ibn al-Hanafiyya, the son of Amir al-Mu'mineen, the brother of Imam Hassan and Hussein from a different mother. His name was Muhammad ibn al-Hanafiyya. He has children who are known as the Alawis. Now, we have two different Alawis, brothers and sisters. Today we have Alawis, for example, in Syria, and we have Alawis in 
Turkey, and that is their madhab. However, we're talking about this lineage, about this tribe, about this progeny known as the Alawis, meaning the children of Ali ibn Abi Talib. They had many uprising, uprisings, they had many revolts and many revolutions. Amongst them were, were the revolutions of, for example, Zayd bin Ali, a Shaheed. And the Shia also, the Shia community at large, had many uprisings, for example, such as the uprising of Tawabin, or the uprising of Mukhtar al-Thaqafi, and the government that Mukhtar al-Thaqafi had established. Well, many of them were very small revolts, many of them were larger, many of them actually resulted in governments. So, the people began to march around and, and unite around the Ahlul Bayt and the cause of the Ahlul Bayt. And, there, and just like today, you see that, you know, there is a, a, a worldwide global revolution uh, entitled Black Lives Matter. Then there was a a global or worldwide within obviously the Muslim Empire a revolt entitled Ar-Ridha min Ali Muhammad to seek the pleasure and the satisfaction of the Ahlul Bayt which meant that either the Ahlul Bayt themselves would rule they would become the Khalifa or they would give permission to those who would rule on their behalf and Obviously, in this revolution, in this revolt, Bani al-Abbas, the cousins of the Ahl al-Bayt, the children of Abbas, the uncle of Rasulullah, also played a role. And they counted themselves amongst the Ahl al-Bayt, and they seeked vengeance for the blood of Imam al-Hussein and other uh, members of the Ahl al-Bayt. For example, Zayd bin Ali, the uncle of Imam al-Sadiq, was killed and he was crucified for three years and the likes of Zayd were many from the Ahl al-Bayt, from the Sadat who were killed, crucified. So, this began the decline of Bani Umayyah. Now, as soon as people began to give allegiance to the Alawis, Bani al-Abbas began to create their own agenda in order to take this Khilafah, take this power, take this platform and claim it for themselves and to marginalize the Ahl al-Bayt and the Alawis. In fact, amongst the first cities that revolted against Bani Umayyah was the city of Kufa. However, Bani al-Abbas hijacked this movement and they claimed it for themselves and they actually began to kill the Alawis themselves the children of Amir al-Mu'mineen. And they also killed those who supported them to get to that goal. For example, go and read the biography of a man by the name of Abu Muslim al-Khurasani, who had taken loyalty and allegiance from Khurasan, from that Persian peninsula, from that Persian empire, and the Arab, and the, and the, and the others from Baghdad and Kufa and Basra and, and other Iraqi cities, they were all killed in stories that I have discussed in previous lectures. And this was the rise of Bani al-Abbas. So when Bani al-Abbas took over, they had a rise, they had, you know, they, they gained power. And specifically in the time of 
Harun al-Abbasi, who is also given the title of Harun al-Rashid. However, we reject this title for Harun and we call him Harun al-Abbasi. For Rashid means someone with maturity, someone with wisdom, and through the acts of Harun, we see no wisdom and we see no maturity. We see no fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes, he built the city of Baghdad. Yes, he uh, did a lot of things that to the public seem to be very beautiful. However, within the homes of Bani al-Abbas, they didn't care whether they even killed their own brothers and their own mothers. And if you go and read the history of Bani al-Abbas, you find that in moments, and in, in, in some periods, a Khalifa would kill his own mother. He would strangle his own mother. A Khalifa would kill his own brother. Therefore, Harun al-Abbasi, he left the Khilafah, and I'm giving you a history the history of how it reached to a point where Imam al-Rida was summoned to Khurasan and why is he buried in Khurasan so Harun when he left he left the Khilafah amongst two of his sons Al-Amin and Ma'moon he put one of them in Baghdad and one of them in Khurasan the one in Baghdad Al-Ma'moon after the death of his father, ransacked Khurasan, killed his own brother, Al-Amin, and he crucified him. And he claimed the Khilafah completely for himself. So this was the Khalifa of the Muslims who killed his own brother and crucified him. And this created chaos, brothers and sisters. People no longer can accept the Khalifa for Rasulullah who had killed his own brother. And people can no longer accept the Khalifa who people saw he's not going to have a chance in leading the Muslim Empire. In fact, the Muslim Empire in its totality can be destroyed. How? Because this was an Arab mentality, a belief that Islam affirmed that الرحم, those who boycott their blood relatives will have a short life, will not be successful, will fail, will lead a miserable life. And here's a guy who killed his own brother. So he's not going to live long, number one. Number two, he's not going to be successful. Number three, how can a Khalifa do that? So when he claimed the Khilafah, he had many tribulations and difficulties. One were the ongoing revolts of the Alawis, the ongoing revolts of the Shia. And this was continuous. In fact, amongst the brothers of Imam al-Ridha were governors of the Shi'i revolutions. One was Ibrahim ibn Musa ibn Ja'far, the, the brother of Imam al-Ridha from another mother, same father, the son of Musa ibn Ja'far, who was the governor of Yemen. Another one was the governor of Kufa. Others, the cousins of Imam al-Ridha became governors of Basra, Iraq. So the Shi'as continued the revolt and this guy was about to lose the plot. So what he did was he consulted uh, some of his consultants, advisors, and they said to him, for you to put an end to all of this mess and to gain power, O Ma'moon, you have to summon Ali ibn Musa al-Ridha. Why? Now Imam al-Ridha wasn't just an ordinary guy sitting in Medina. Now we have to shed some light on the biography of Imam al-Ridha 
his achievements and who he was. You see, Imam al-Rida, brothers and sisters, lived in the time of his father who in totality spent 14 years of imprisonment. Imam Musa ibn Ja'far spent 14 years of his time, different segments of his time, but 14 years in total in prison. So Imam al-Rida was then given permission to propagate and to teach by his father inside the masjid of Rasulullah So Imam al-Rida had a member, a podium in masjid of Rasulullah in the holy city of Medina at the age 18. And up until 30 when he became an Imam, he would propagate and he had the last lecture so the scholars would give lectures all day and Imam al-Rida when he would teach, people would compare. The students would compare, the fuqaha, the scholars would compare and they would realize that Imam al-Rida's knowledge is not the type that can be compared to other ordinary human beings. More importantly, Imam al-Rida would refute the statements that were said wrongly on the member of Rasulullah. To a point where many of the ulama and many of the fuqaha neglected their own member, their own podium, their own students, and they would come and sit and listen to Imam al-Rida. Besides that he was the Imam for the Shia, he was loved by the Shia. He was someone who was widely respected by all the Muslims. Therefore, for Ma'mun to put an end to the revolts of the Shia, the revolts of the Alawis, to pretend that you know what he had done by killing his own brother, was okay, he summoned Al-Imam Al-Rida to move from Medina to Khurasan. And what, this was a strategic move on his behalf to gain authority and to continue rule. And I get surprised, sometimes I hear Muslim scholars and historians say that Ma'mun didn't kill Imam Al-Rida. In fact, he loved Imam Al-Rida. He's not responsible for the murder of Imam Al-Rida. And I have heard this from some Shi'i historians or so-called scholars and authors who sometimes we even glorify them and we mention their name on the manabir unknowingly that they didn't understand the circumstance of this imam al-imam al-rida salawatullahi wa anyhow imam al-rida was summoned amongst some of his family members and some of his students and he was forced to leave medina and to go towards Khurasan. Now the scholar, if he goes from the ordinary route, which was Baghdad, and which was Basra, and which was Kufa, then the followers of Ahl al-Bayt, and all the Muslims, because this was his title, Ar-Rida, everybody excited, accepted him. Ar-Rida meaning Al-Mardi, those who people accept and adore. Obviously, this was going to give more strength to Imam al-Rada. So he made sure that he, Imam al-Rada goes through a different route, Ahwaz and this and Balkh and <coughs> all the cities that were known to be against Ahl al-Bayt. Until he reached close to Khurasan, a city by the name of Nishabur that had many scholars. Many scholars outside the school of Ahl al-Bayt resided in Nishabur. Others had come to Nishabur just so that they can hear Imam al-Rida and see Imam al-Rida and witness the grandson of Rasulullah. So the entourage of Imam al-Rida came 
and arrived to Neshabur and he was sitting on top of a she-camel within you know those baskets that they create with curtains I'm sure you've seen in movies I don't know what it's called in English but in, in Arabic it's called Hawdaj <coughs> excuse me so the Hawdaj of Imam al-Rada arrived and there were thousands of scholars gathered there they stopped the caravan and they said Yabna Rasulillah haddithna an hadithan an jaddika Rasulillah Oh, the son of Rasulullah, give us a hadith from your grandfather, Rasulullah. Now, Imam Rada could have given them hundreds and thousands of hadiths from Rasulullah. But look at the hadith that Imam Rada chooses. Imam Rada says, I narrate from myself, uh, myself, then from my father, his father, Imam al Sadr, Imam al Baqar, Imam Zainul Abideen. Imam al Hassan, Imam al Hassan, Imam al Hussein, Imam al Hussein, Imam al Hassan, Amir al Mu'minin Ali ibn Abi Talib, Qala Rasulullah, Qala Jubra'il, Qala Allah. And this hadith is known as the hadith of the golden chain, Al Silsila al Basically, Imam al Rida was telling them, Look, don't have any doubt that I am that connection between the heavens and the, the skies and the earth. I am that Imam that has been chosen for you. I can narrate such a hadith to you. He says, قال الله كلمة لا إله إلا الله حصني من دخل حصني أمن من عذابي. The statement of لا إله إلا الله is my shield, is my amnesty. Whoever says it, whoever enters it, will receive protection. He put the curtains. He moved. <coughs> he opened the curtain and he said but it has rules and regulations and requirements and I am one of them meaning the Imam of Ahl al-Bayt is the mukammil is what completes Tawheed if you don't have the Imam of Ahl al-Bayt and the leadership of Ahl al-Bayt then you start having problems in your own Tawheed. How so? Today go read the books of other Muslims. Allah has a hand, Allah has feet, Allah has fingers, Allah sits on a mule. Jibra'il was punched by the Prophet Musa, the Nubuwa then has a problem, and so on and so forth. That is why the dua says, Oh Allah, inform me of your Imam, for if I don't know your Imam, I won't know your Prophet. And inform me of your Prophet, for if I don't know him, then I would not know you. And if I don't know you, then I am just an ignorant person. The Imams are our path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah, it is true that the Shia and the followers and the lovers of Ahlul Bayt are accused that we worship the Imams and we exaggerate in the Imams and so on and so forth. But the Imams are that way that paved way, that express lane that takes us to the Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam al-Rida arrived to Khurasan in the year 196 after the Hijrah and he was murdered and assassinated in the year 203 after the Hijrah. So about three years or less than three years where he became Waliyul Ahd, the Khalifa of the Ma'moon by force obviously and we explain why Ma'moon would force the Imam to do such a thing. 
And of course, Imam al-Rida, you all know, gave a public statement that he is not a political figure. Meaning if the Ma'mun asks him to stop the revolts of the Shia, to judge them, to be his messenger to them, he would not participate in any of those acts. And this was not an act of endorsement, meaning Imam al-Rida stripped himself from any sort of endorsement for Al-Ma'mun. Ma'mun tried to create many plots for Imam al-Rida so that he would fail. He knew that Imam had a vast knowledge in Islamic sciences. So he tested the Imam in many ways. He called the most influential of ulama of the Muslims and they debated the Imam and the Imam showed that he is the Alim, he is the scholar. They are in need of him, he is not in need of them. People were astonished by the ilm of Imam al-Rida So al-Ma'mun created a different plot. As you know, he was the most important man around the world. So he called on to the Christian Archbishop and the Jews and the Sabians and their scholars. And they gathered. And one day, they, one night, they all arrived to Khurasan and they were given their residence. One of the khadims of the Imam, who was Iraqi, went to the Imam in the evening and he said, Ya ibn Rasulullah, this Ma'moon has a plot for you. He realized that you will win all the ulama within the Islamic realm because you are the alim. You are the alim of the Muslims. However, he summoned the Christians and the Jews and the Sabians. He summoned the atheists. He summoned the Magans. He summoned the uh, agnostics so that you would enter a debate with them. So Imam says to him, why? Why do you think he did that? He said, Ya Rasulullah, because you would not be able to debate them with the Quran or Hadith. You would not be able to debate them even in Arabic. And he wants to put you to shame. He wants to show your weakness to everybody. You know what Imam al-Rada says to him? He says, do you know when Ma'moon is going to be regretful? He says to him, Ibn Rasulullah, tell me when. He says, he's going to be regretful once I start debating Ahlul Injil Injilin. I start debating the people of the Injil with their Injil, the people of the Old Testament with their Old Testament, the New Testament with the New Testament, the people of the Zabur and the Talmud with their own books, in their own language. So he thought this was a plot against Imam al-Rada, not knowing that Imam al-Rada's knowledge stems from the knowledge of Amir al-Mu'mineen. And the knowledge of Amir al-Mu'mineen stems from Rasulullah. And the knowledge of Rasulullah stems from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the next day Imam al-Rada arrived and there was this beautiful debate that you all know. And Imam al-Rada was able to convert every single one of them. And in the end, one of them says to Ma'moon, how can you declare yourself a leader and an Imam? While Ali ibn Musa al-Rada, one of the Christians and the Jews and the, the Magans, Ali ibn Musa Rada is amongst you, this man who spoke to us in Hebrew, who spoke, who spoke to us in Greek, who read out of our own books, who knows of our books more than we know. Huh? How can you do that? So Ma'moon realized the threat. And there he 
actually offered the Khilafah to Imam al-Rada. Why? Number one, to see whether Imam al-Rada really wanted the Khilafah. Number two, and, and by the way, if Imam al-Rada would have accepted the Khilafah, hypothetically, you think a guy that killed his own brother and crucified his own brother would not kill his would not kill Imam al-Rada? Of course he would. Without a doubt he would. So Imam al-Rada rejected. And he refused. But that did not stop Al-Ma'mun to pursue Imam al-Rida and to poison Imam al-Rida and to kill Imam al-Rida. And Imam al-Rida now is buried in Khurasan. This was a brief biography of Al-Imam Ali ibn Musa al-Rida, brothers and sisters. An Imam that Imam al-Sadiq he told us that one day, from the progeny of Musa bin Ja'far, the Alam of Al-Muhammad will be born, the Barakah of Al-Muhammad will be born, the, the wisdom of Al-Muhammad will be born, the person who will enlighten the minds of the followers of Ahlul Bayt will be born, referring to Imam al-Rada So, when we celebrate the life of Imam al-Rada, Brothers, sisters, let us understand his legacy. Let us understand that Imam al-Rada as whom he is by knowledge. And I call on to you, brothers and sisters, to become part of the knowledge of the Ahlul Bayt. Become part of the knowledge of Al-Muhammad. Either seek knowledge, devote yourself to that knowledge, or become part of supporting this movement. Imam Raza. قربون کبوترات یه نگاهیم بکن به زیر پاک